1: Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and shall call call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called called his name Jesus.
0: Amen. This is God's word. Amen. You can be seated. All right. Hey, how wonderful to have the kids up here. I invite you back to First Noel that's at 4 o'clock, but come early because we'll have cookies and and, uh, and uh, fruit and all kinds of refreshments out all in our Galleria. Everything's going to look even prettier than it does now. And we're going to invite you back to enjoy that. A special uh, group of readings in the First Noel service, which is a shortened service, by the way. It's only about 45 minutes so that we can really enjoy a rich time of fellowship all afternoon, both before and after. It's great for children because because of these narratives and how easily they grasp uh, the Christmas story and the gospel uh, that is in it. So I invite you back to that. I heard uh, Doug already say that, hey, it's uh, Gift Your Church Sunday. Actually, tomorrow's Gift Your Church Monday and the next day, in other words, uh, you can still gift your church anytime that you want to um, through uh, December the 31st of um, this year. But those were some of the things. But I just loved seeing these kids. And what I did while I was sitting there was I counted the six kids alone that were up here that are in my ministry on Wednesday nights with Big Life, where we are memorizing the entire chapter of Exodus chapter 20. We are, we are memorizing the Ten Commandments and all the teachings surrounding the Ten Commandments there in Exodus chapter 20. And last week I said, hey, how you doing on your scripture memorization? And my goal is to, by January 1, have that completely... Uh, memorized, but I'm just excited that those kids are up here speaking Scripture back to you, singing Scripture back to you, and reading Scripture right in front of you. That's the next generation of Christ followers. Pray for them, right? Pray for them. All right, are you ready to receive God's Word this morning? Come on, give me a good Baptist amen. You ready to receive it? All right, good. All right, what passage are we in? Matthew chapter... One, And we're studying the character Joseph here this morning. Why is this message important? Why should we really insert ourselves and our faith in this message? And how does that relate to all the people that have come here today with our different lives, our, di- our different dilemmas, our different perils, our different situations? This is a moment in history upon which all faith hangs all faith hangs. John Walvoord, a great, great professor from Dallas Theological Seminary, spoke on the sinless deity and virgin birth of Jesus Christ, both of which are uh, taught in this passage. He says, The incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. In other words, what you have here is if you don't have a sinless human being that is fully God and fully man, you do not have Messiah. But not only do you not have Messiah, you do not have the Messiah who was promised. In the word of God and so if you do not have a sinless human Savior that was born of a virgin and by by the Holy Spirit the scripture says in Luke 1 33 that the Holy Spirit will come upon you Mary if you don't have that you also do not have a, a word of God that can be trusted and can be verified everything breaks down If what we are reading and studying here this morning is not true, all of faith hangs upon these truths that exist in this passage. If someone says to you, hey, I need you to get that that, uh, fence over there painted, you now have a million options on how to paint that fence. You now have a million options. You can choose white paint, red paint. You can choose a two inch wide brush, a two and a half inch wide brush. You can pick four or five people to help you paint. You can pick two or three people to help you paint. You can do it on a Tuesday or on a Thursday. You can wait till it's completely dry. You can do it three months from now. You have millions of options to paint that fence. But if I say to you, hey, that fence over there needs to be painted, but it needs to be painted with specific camel hair brushes that are imported from Greece. Okay, and it needs to be painted in a dye and a hue that you can only get in Mongolia. All right, and it needs to be painted from by a man that lives in Hoboken, but was born in Sarasota, Florida. Okay, but was run out of Phoenix, Arizona, when he was a kid. Okay, and then I say to you, and that person has to have been born on this day on this date to a mother whose name was Mary and to a father whose name was Joseph and that this person also had to, uh, uh, ha- had to at some point have ridden upon a donkey into uh, the city of Philadelphia near where the Old Bell is. Suddenly all of your options narrow and narrow and narrow and the impossibility of getting this fence painted begins to arise. In fact, for a human being to have fulfilled what Jesus Christ did in the Scripture, do you know what the ratio is, the percentage is of that possibility? One to the 49th power, all right? And you're saying, uh, I, I'm so done with math. I was done with math in 12th grade. I was too. But that means one and 49 zeros. Across The chance is one in 49 zeros. I don't know if that's a quintillionth or a bazillionth or whatever, but it just ain't possible. And yet, in Luke chapter 1, and verse 38, the angel says to Mary, "...with God all things are possible." The impossible is possible with God. And so what we are seeing, what we're witnessing here this morning in the Christmas narration... Is the impossible happening through a God who makes it possible in a human situation in which a man will come to the end of his ability to reconcile the peril that he and now this young virgin are in and it will all be completely resolved The incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. Upon it, the whole superstructure of Christian theology depends. Why would we tell anyone about Jesus if Jesus is not the proven Messiah? If history has not proven it, if the Scripture has not proven it, if the Holy Spirit had not ordained it, This is pointless. What we are doing is placing false hope in a false Messiah. But we aren't. This is majestic what we're witnessing here this morning. And it's why we ought to come to this passage. But there's even another reason why we ought to come to this passage and and, and tremble as we hold it and tremble as we read it. Because while this passage reveals critically important truths about Jesus, it reveals also to us about how the gospel... The salvation plan of God for the world works through people. The first promise of salvation in the Scripture, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in which it said that that, that there will be one who is born of the seed of woman. There will be the seed of Satan, the one who tries to conspire to destroy the world and destroy the world by sin. He's going to be crushed by this seed of woman. His head's going to be crushed and only his heel will be bruised. And the Scripture is careful to say that it's the seed of the woman stating that there's full humanity there that's going to happen. That we see in the very first promise in the Bible that God has a plan to save the world from sin, which just happened with Adam and Eve. We see the promise that the gospel will come and work through people. And if we're going to be Bible students this morning, if we're going to be people who love God and want to live by and walk by faith, we're going to ask, have to ask ourselves the question here this morning that the text, text asks of us. And that is, is how is the gospel coming through me? How, how, how are the truths about Jesus and how is the grace of God reaching other people? How is the story of the gospel getting to other people? hearts? How is it happening through me? And we'll be confronted with something that appears to be very wrong, where a couple of righteous people are going to suffer for something that they did not ask for. And we will have to ask the question in our, in our own hearts, am I ready to receive a gospel that calls me it calls me, maybe even means it calls me to a more difficult life, a life of tougher choices, a life of pain that I never would have invited. The gospel calls me out of one life and into another life. Now, when we look at Matthew chapter 1, or we look at any of the Gospels, any of the four Gospels, we need to be reminded of the central theology that's there. While we many times come to the Christmas story and we do character studies like we're going to do this morning, we have to remind ourselves that that is not the primary emphasis of the Scripture. The primary emphasis of the Gospels is Jesus. The secondary emphasis all around Jesus is the Gospel or the salvation plan of God. Each one of these gospels, take it home and read it, it will tell you how to be saved, how to be born again. John chapter 3 says, so Jesus says to Nicodemus, you'll never enter, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Matthew declares salvation in, in, in Jesus Christ. Luke declares salvation in Jesus Christ. Mark declares salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus claims to be that very Messiah in all four of those Gospels. The main point of the passage is Jesus, and then what surrounds all of the main point of these passages about Jesus is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Really, a study of an individual character like Joseph comes in a very distant third, and yet we still will benefit from all three here this morning. All three. All right, so what's the main point of the passage? What does the passage then reveal about Jesus? So instead of following it in a linear fashion, we're going to follow it in a theological fashion here this morning. Let's keep the main thing the main thing and ask ourselves, what does it reveal about Jesus? Well, it reveals that Jesus is the sinless son of God. If you look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, The writer of Hebrews contends, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying that's humanity. The children share in flesh and blood. Jesus shares in flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one that has the power of death. That is the devil. Now, here's what he's saying there. Is the devil the accuser? the devil who is the inspirer of all sin, the prince of the power of a world that is broken and cursed. That's the only power that he has, the power to continue to call a world to sin and to death. But if a sinless, if a sinless human being could pay the price of all of God's wrath, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who saves us from the coming wrath, says Paul to the church at Thessalonica. Thessalonica. If there could be a sinless human being, a human, but a sinless human being that would come and take that penalty to satisfy the wrath of God, then the world could be saved through him. He's the sinless son of God, even though Jesus was just like us. Why? Because he was to become a sacrifice for sin. He had to be human. He had to physically die to show that death was overcome. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, the scripture shows this humanity. It says he was tempted by the devil. In verse 2, it says Jesus became hungry. In Mark 6 chapter 3, it tells us that Jesus was a carpenter. He had a trade. He had a human craft. In uh, John chapter 13, Jesus weeps with sympathy. It should be John chapter 11. Jesus wept with sympathy for his friends. God the Son humbled himself to become like us in all ways but one. The perfect Son of God never sinned, even once in thought or word or deed. So we look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 that says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. What you're going through, Jesus can sympathize with. God, very God, can sympathize with what you're going through, with how you come to the Bible here this morning, from whatever walk of life and from whatever faith you have, God can sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was without sin. Jesus was the sinless, son of God. That's incredible theology that we're introduced to here in Matthew chapter 1. But also we're introduced to the fact that he's born of a virgin fulfilling prophecy isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 state there there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit now how's that scripture fulfilled well we learn from the new testament that both mary and joseph are children of david the king david the son of jesse In fact, there is no more noble countryman that could be the surrogate dad, even that is, uh, I should say, adoptive father of Jesus, than a man that is a son of kings, Joseph, and a woman that is a daughter of a kingly line. So scripture is fulfilled there. And it says in verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And it says in Matthew that Jesus was driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness to prepare for his public ministry. The Spirit is all over it. Jesus quotes uh, uh, chapter 61 of Isaiah to say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me. Scripture is fulfilled showing that he's born of a virgin and the virgin Mary. The scripture is very careful to call him the human seed of, of Mary, but the divine seed of God the Father. Fully man, fully God. The only one true Messiah. Look again at Matthew chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 right down to the page. It says this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. What is Matthew doing? Matthew is saying scripture told us this was going to happen. Matthew is, is helping provide some of the cohesion of this entire gospel narrative, this thing that looks like it would be impossible for all of these accomplishments to be satisfied in one human being, and yet they are in Jesus All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so now we're going to see some theology about just two names that are given, ascribed to this child that's going to be born to Mary. He's going to be called Jehovah's salvation, and he's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now I just want you to think about that for a second. That right here, the scripture that you are looking at, that you are studying, right here in this scripture, all right, is the name that is above all names. Right here, we are introduced to the name that he will be called forever. When preachers preach for centuries, for now over two millennia, the truth of Christ. When missionaries go and share the truth about Christ, they go and they tell people about Jesus. That's the name that we talk about. That's the name that we worship. That's the name where salvation is. That's the name that he will be called. Can you believe that? Right there, heaven says, his name will be Jehovah will save. Yeshua. Yeshua. And so we have not only just learned that he's the sinless Savior, that he's born of a virgin, protecting his perfect humanity and sinlessness, fulfilling prophecy, but thirdly, that he is a Savior. God will save and God with us. There is no greater longing for a lost world than the longing of God with us. The greatest longing in this world, the greatest longing that you will ever experience, the greatest need that you will ever have is God with you. And yet the greatest rebellion that has ever existed in the world is, God, get out of my business. God, get out of my life. God, go away. God, stop bothering me. Living in continual rebellion against God. You cannot listening on the podcast, you cannot be reconciled to God. You cannot have a genuine relationship to God through Jesus Christ without giving your sins to Jesus. You can't do it. Without admitting that you are a, savior, a sinner in need of a Savior, you're gonna need that name. What's that name? Jesus. You're going to need that name, Jehovah will save. And you're going to need that for you. That's the only way. Hear me on the podcast here. Pray, we'll pray, even here in this congregation right now, that someone within the sound of this voice will hear. You really need a Savior, and that Savior is only Jesus. There is no greater longing in the world than the longing of God with me. But there is no greater rebellion, faithless act of unbelief than God get out. And so Jesus comes. And so we have a Savior that is sinless, that is born of a virgin, fulfilling prophecy, but he is also God with us. Think about that. Can you think of a more intimate example of God expressing his desire to be close than through birth. And he does it twice. When we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth, the impossible already occurs. A miraculous closeness occurs. A miraculous impossibility very, very close occurs. Elizabeth gives birth to a son. Zechariah is told he's going to be John the Baptist. He's going to come in the spirit of Elijah in the same way that Sarah was barren and it was impossible for Abraham to be the father of many nations, and yet God fulfilled that promise, now God will fulfill in the same way through Zechariah and Elizabeth that Elijah is going to come and he's going to get the world ready to repent and turn to Jesus. There's one intimate and close example of God with us, and then God takes it even a Further step, he takes it even higher. He goes to the top level and says, the next one's gonna be born of a virgin. The next impossibility is actually inconceivable to the person who finds that his betrothed is with child. Now that's God with us. That's close. The greatest longing of the world is God with me. And maybe you come here this morning. Perhaps you're one of those individuals with that very longing this morning. Maybe you feel separated. Maybe you are caught in something that is really disturbing your relationship with God. Maybe you have heard these truths many times before. Maybe you've associated yourself with a Christian culture and you've walked in it, but you have never cried out, oh, God, I need you. And you haven't cried to Jesus, the Savior, Jehovah, who will save. Come and be with me through your grace and by your blood cover all of my sins so that I can forever be in close relationship with God the Father. And today you need to be saved. That may be you here this morning. Or it may be that we come here this morning and we have an incredible need again to be with God. We've gotten away from that and we know the kind of intimacy that God really wants with us. And we want Emmanuel and we cry for Emmanuel. The Bible here will say that Jesus will save the people from their sins and that he is God With us who is right Matthew writing to it says he will save the people from their sins Matthew was writing to an entirely Jewish audience an entire people And he's saying to them Messiah is for all of you Luke will then speak to a Gentile race all those outside of the Jewish Family and say that that Savior is for you as well Who is this Savior that is God with us? He's the Savior of everybody and he's your savior. And he offers himself to you here this morning. How close, how intimate is this God with us? I was at Johnny and Friends, the first year that I was at Johnny and Friends serving with families of disability, we would climb this wall. <clears throat> and um, of course the, 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 the adult children and children of disability had struggles with getting up this wall and they had ropes and they had harnesses on them. And then there were some that were complete invalids that had trachs so that they could breathe through uh, their throats and they had feeding tubes in their bodies because they couldn't eat and they had stuff stuffed in their ears because their ears didn't work and they couldn't see very well and basically the best thing that this one young man named uh, Jonathan could do was grunt that's about all he could do and so um, somebody comes over and says hey let's have Jonathan go up the wall and I'm going what he can't walk he can't move his arms He's paralyzed from the neck down. He can barely breathe. And someone says, let's, let's, let, let's do the impossible. Let's figure out how to do the impossible. Right there. And so they go over to these rangers that have been doing this for, you know, for days, weeks, months, maybe years, and like They say, hey, look, you know, can this, this uh, child that is a wheelchair user uh, that is paralyzed? Um, that we have to be very careful not to put any weight on him or anything like that because he's, he's breathing through his throat and stuff. Is there any way to get him to the top of that wall? And the guy said, there's a way. There's a way. He said, it's the taco. The taco, yes, the taco is this big, huge, giant, uh, thickly woven Cordura nylon, multiple layer sheet with ropes and 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 clips and all kinds of things, and we literally can just kind of cuddle a human being inside this taco, wrap him up in it, and pull him all the way to the top, and he can just go all the way to the top. Well, we put Jonathan in this taco, when he went.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The impossibility without intimacy was not going to happen. And so his dad said, put me in there with him. And so his father lies down flat on the ground. And they drop Jonathan onto his father. And his father wraps his arms around him like this and holds him close. And then they wrap the taco around both of them and they begin to pull. And then you finally hear the, God with us, a savior who is God with us. What does the passage then reveal about the gospel? What does it reveal about the gospel? Oh, Oh, it reveals that God loves you. It reveals that God wants to get close to you. It reveals that God does the impossible. It reveals that the supernatural happened very closely with human beings and miracles happen all around us. It all hinges upon these events as well. The gospel is counting on the promise of God being fulfilled from Old Testament prophecy even to a prophecy that is made right there. He will save the people from their sins. The plan of God is worked through the people of God. Scripture is filled with references to those who were the servants of God. Jonah, who is my servant. Jonah, my servant, says the scripture constantly speaks of people that are used of God as the servants. Of God. And Christ is the suffering servant of God, who is the sacrifice for our sins to save us and to redeem us. And often in the Bible refers in that way to using people. He's my servant. But not only does the gospel use, but the gospel overthrows. It requires a yielded life, a life that is prepared to go, a life that is prepared to stay. Someone said to me this morning before they were coming, we were coming in, they, they said, We hear that you're leaving. I said, well, yeah, yeah, I'm leaving, but I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm going. And I said, so are you staying? And they went, what? I said, are you staying? They went, you mean, you mean like here, here in Michigan? I said, yes. Are you staying? And they said, yes. I said, oh, so you were called by God to remain here for a specific reason. Uh Aha, I had them. The gospel not only uses people, the gospel overthrows lives and says, life, here's where I want you. Here's how I want to use you. Life for my sake. Jesus said it many ways. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Luke 17, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. The gospel overthrows. 10, Years ago, this January, Heather and I came here at the beginning of January on a candidacy trip, and the pilot said, "Welcome to Grand Rapids as he, he, we were disembarking from the plane. Where it is a balmy negative 11 degrees." From Charlotte, by the way, but it doesn't really really matter. From lower, from, from down. And that night, and we were the hospitality was great, but the shock of just what would change was shocking. And so they dropped us off at Brands, and we had a really nice dinner together, and and it was it was nice, and uh, but uh, we we were staying at that country inn across the parking lot, all the way across the Dutch Village parking lot from the Brands. And I, not knowing what we were up against, said, oh, we'll walk across. (laughs) We'll walk across there after dinner, okay? We went outside, and Heather said, this is impossible. I don't care if we need to call a cab to go one-third of a mile. And I said, you know what? Let's wrap you up here. You take my scarf. You take my gloves. We literally wrapped her to where she was blind and could not see anything. Her entire body was covered. Okay? And so then she couldn't see anything, so I led her by my hand. It took 12 minutes to go a third of a mile, but we got there. The gospel overthrows. The gospel completely overthrows where does the gospel want to throw you? Thirdly, the gospel calls for humble, and, humble obedience and trust. It calls for humble obedience and trust. It's going to take a person who already is righteous and tell him to do the unthinkable he in his own figuring and understanding of how to uh to handle this problem of mary being pregnant that by any human definition means she's committed adultery during the betrothal period he's going to figure out a way to dismiss her quietly here's what he could have done Here's what he could have done. He could have divorced her publicly. And by divorcing her publicly, he could have just called out her as an adulterer, as a sinner, and called for her stoning. And on the very day that she dies is the very day that he gets his divorce. But no, their names were written up in the synagogue there in Nazareth for a full year to be prayed for as the betrothed in the betrothal period. He had a responsibility for that life, even though he had not taken that life and consummated that marriage. For that year, he was getting ready. He and his father were probably preparing the humble um, uh, abode in a state that was going to be their home. He was a righteous man. He was keeping himself from her, allowing her to continue to live with her father. Father and mother and to stay with friends, sisters, brothers, and cousins in the small town of Nazareth. And he says, how can I? It says that he tried to figure out a way to divorce her quietly because there was not just door number one, but there was door number two. And door number two is this, is to find two or three witnesses that where you say, I divorce her, I divorce her, I divorce her three times. And those witnesses testify to that fact. And she can be dismissed without a death penalty. Still scorned. They're still, his business as, as, a, as a carpenter is going to go down. Whatever she sold in the marketplace, whatever friends she had are going to drop her off of Facebook. They're, they're going to they're gonna defriend her. But this is the best plan that he can come up with in and of himself. Haven't you taken counsel with yourself before and said, I think this is the best thing that I can possibly do? And here's the great thing is, it says there that he was a Sadiq, okay? He was a righteous man. A Sadiq in the Hebrew means, that's how you're designated, that's how, how you're called, okay? And so if you had one thing that you were labeled as, he's a banker, he's a lawyer, he's a whatever, Sadiq was the label that was given to Joseph. He was a righteous man. It's what he would be known for in the community, it would be what he would be held to in the community. It says he's a righteous man, and he takes counsel with himself as a righteous man, and he says, here are the options. So he literally has a heart to do the righteous thing, and yet an angel says, trust and obey. Do not be afraid, what, to take Mary home to be your wife. The angel says there's door number three. And God, through this glorious gospel, because of who Jesus Christ is, will now imperil two lives in a way that is unthinkable. Think about it. Their lives are in great, great jeopardy. <laughs> who's, the, who's the town justice guy who goes, we're going to let them live here now? Throw them out! Oh, I see. We just don't hold the same traditions and standards here anymore. There goes the righteous culture of our day. They're in peril. They're in danger. They're about to lose friends, family, income. They were already poor. We know that because of their humble offering that they make at the temple. But now they're going to be poe. And yet there's door number three that calls for humble obedience and trust. What does the passage reveal about Joseph? Joseph. First of all, get this, person of faith listening on the podcast, hear this, he is not as significant as the God who is working. I'm pretty sure that I didn't get that from any commentary or anywhere else that only just my study and, and prayer come to this statement for us here and now is... We are not as significant as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our lives can be overthrown. We can permit God to take over and an angel to say, Take door number three. His faith was so righteous that he counted his life as insignificant compared to humbling himself in trust and obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, don't you want that? Don't you want that heart? I want to have that heart here this morning. His faith, second of all, responded to God's unfolding plans. I threw something out on Facebook, and I got a response back that's just too good. It's got to be shared. His faith responded to God's unfolding plans. This lady says, he quietly does as God asks. Takes in who society labels as unworthy. Doesn't let the junk people probably say about him to deter him. And he loves them Well, he also doesn't seem to get any accolades from any people anywhere either. His reward is in heaven, standing with his father and his son, almighty God. You don't see Joseph after Jesus's 12th birthday. He's not at the cross. He's not there. Mary's there no witness of Joseph. The likelihood is Joseph died years before Jesus's ministry culminated in exonerating him as a righteous man. Do you get that? Do you understand that? That Jesus' ministry, yes, once Jesus proved that he was the sinless son of God, once Jesus proved that he was that Messiah, that he went to the cross, that he literally defeated death and sin and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, Joseph is exonerated a hundred times over. And yet, in the life that he had, it's likely that nobody went up to Joseph and said, Dude, you were right. You were right. Wow. Wow. The angel really did speak to you. She really really is a virgin who gave birth to the son of God. I think by prayer and study of the scripture that I'm arriving at a very significant conclusion for all of us and that many believe Jesus, but those beliefs are not hoping each day, thrilled each day, sharing in God's glory each day, ready to be overthrown by the gospel each day. There's this defensive, entrenched mindset that is creeping into the church of Jesus Christ. And my question in looking at this passage to you as worshipers of God, who wouldn't want to give his life away to such glorious advancement of the kingdom of God? It seems nonsensical, and yet sometimes we restrict our faith. What I'm saying is I'm not seeing many people that want to be all of what Joseph was. Surely we want to be that tzaddik, we want to be that righteous man, but do we want to go the distance that God called him to? Thirdly, he speaks to us saying righteousness is trusting and obeying God. God rewards the righteous, but also many are the afflictions of the righteous, the psalmist says. The righteous put themselves out there in trust. They expose their hearts to heartache. They yield their lives to the control of another. There are times when being righteous is absolutely thrilling. There are times when righteousness reaps blessing. And there are times when righteousness is crushing, painful, and faith-stretching. There are times when the righteous don't want to be righteous anymore. And maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you being righteous but not seeing reward. Maybe that's you saying this is getting harder and harder. And yet the gospel compels you, the gospel constrains you, the gospel moves you by a supernatural desire to obey and trust God even when it hurts so bad that in your humanness you can't see a way out. Wow. That's what we see in this character, Joseph. So the righteous wait and trust, and obey, and they pray, and they pray, and they wait. The Righteous Life is not a sitcom that's wrapped up happily in 22 minutes. It's a journey to please God without knowing when the reward will come. What's the legacy of Joseph to us? Um, Worship team, come on up. What's the legacy of Joseph to us? What is it to us? Well, it's of a man that helped us to recognize a sinless, Savior, who is born of a virgin, fulfilling prophecy, so that the immaculate plan of the gospel that looks impossible is possible. The legacy of Joseph is to show that God's gospel works through lives and it can work through you and me. Where is God throwing your life with the gospel? Where is God directing you by his spirit to people who need Jesus? Where is God calling you today to a savior, to Emmanuel, God with us? Where would you by faith just simply say to God, God, I'll let you overthrow me again here this morning, I'll let you do an incredible work in my life if it means that I can be on this brilliant plan of the gospel? me pray. Father, meet us here as we now respond to you in worship. Meet us here as we receive even the deeper questions of the text presented to us. Give us faith to respond righteously, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.